Hello and welcome to the Ask the Ed number 10, the Ozil Parallax. Or one man's genius is another's madman. Or should an attacking player spend the entire game chasing back to be considered any good at being an attacking midfielder? It does seem to be a very Arsenal thing, this blinded, blinkered viewing of things is either br- brilliant or terrible, with no in-between. Right now it's moved on from Ozil to Emery is either terrible or the second coming, purely because he is not Wenger, as clearly is an average manager who couldn't organise a defence if he had all the defensive coaches in the world and George Graham's back for at their peak at his disposal. To be fair, I do feel sorry for Arsenal fans. I mean, we've all met those Divi fans at the club we support, whether away on holiday in the local pub or at work. The Divi with a mouth that makes you cringe every time they open it and embarrassed that people associate them with a the team that you support. So imagine how it is to be an Arsenal fan. And everyone knows them by their Divi fans. The ones on that terrible Arsenal fan TV. Or worse, a man that ranks on the scum of the earth scale next to fascist dictators such as Mussolini, Oswald Mosley and Margaret Thatcher. The vile piece of human excrement that is Piers Morgan is a man most of the world see as a representative of Arsenal fandom. Can you imagine that being identified with him? It's enough to make you change your allegiance. Though I doubt any Arsenal fan will be thinking of that right now, as all is right with the world after they managed to beat uh, Forest Reserves in a cup competition Forest had no interest in. Apparently it proves all the doubters wrong and shows what a great manager Unai Wenger really is. Well, on to the first question anyway, and it is from Spurs poster The Left Will Eat Itself, who asks Hi, as a Spurs fan living in Liverpool, where do you see Everton, Spurs and Liverpool finishing this season? And in what regard do you personally hold McManaman, Carragher and Owen nowadays? Regards, Nick. Well, I don't do predictions as they are bad luck, so I'll have to be vague. Um, I think Everton and Spurs are going to have a season of comparative struggle this season. Silva's not the right man there at Everton, and I can't see him lasting the season. They have the players to be pushing for the top four, but last season they had a squad to push for top six and didn't. Uh, I think it'll be the same this season and Moshiro will lose patience. Though I don't see any chance of Everton actually struggling in the bottom half or anything, just not pushing upwards like they should be. Um, Spurs are just coming to the end of a cycle with players coming to the end of contracts and wanting to go and an unhappy manager who's probably likely to go as well. It's not a good combo. Again, though, it is a comparative struggle. Compared to the team that a couple of seasons ago was in a title race, they are nowhere near that level now. As for that trio of former Liverpool players, well, Manaman used to get me tickets and was a nice lad. He used to be always around me Auntie Mays, like an extra grandchild there until he got success. Once he started winning Player of the Seasons awards, he got too big for his boots and stopped bothering with me and turned into a self-centred prick. Um, Carl I've not spoken to for many, many years. When I, d- I used to have ch- a fair few chats with him in Sully's in the evening, like, you know, after games and that like. He was always a decent enough lad back then, but then he took the sly money and it is difficult to have respect for a multi-millionaire who has no need f- of money but chooses to grasp it working for Murdoch. And as for Owen, he was, is and always will be a gutter rat. I have zero regard for him whatsoever and hate the fact that Liverpool use him as an ambassador. So now an Everton question from the Liverpool site, and King Carlos asks, I would say Everton are the biggest losers from the ban on English clubs in Europe after Heysel. Do you think Everton would have become European champions that year, and did that ban destroy what could have been an Everton football dynasty? Thanks, Edwan. We, I would 100% agree that Everton were the biggest losers, but it is impossible to say if they would have won it. A lot would have come down to the luck of the draw. One thing is for sure, they would have been amongst the favourites, in fact the favourites, and it would have been a great chance for them to win it. 
They would have been the best side in the competition, that is without question. The band did destroy their chance to become England's top dogs. That was likely would have only lasted as long as Howard Kendall stayed and was at his best. He was the key. It's probably not a long-term dynasty, no. MBD from the Manchester United site is next and asks, Good day, Ed. Who'd make your list of top five outfield players of all time? Um, this is going to be tough picking just five, so uh, start with the definites and see what I've got left. Maradona, Cruyff, the original Brazilian Ronaldo, Pele and Maldini. That's five already, so okay, I'm going to stick with that. That's my five then. Um, what was it? Pele, Maldini, Brazilian Ronaldo, Cruyff and Maradona. An in- interesting question now from Oxley Moore Ronoff, the Wolves site, who asks, where is the video umpire at a cricket match and where is the video referee at a rugby match? In cricket, the video umpire is at the ground. He would take over as a main umpire in the event one of them withdraws, similar to the rule of a fourth official at football, I would I would compare it to. like. Um, yes, I did have to research this, by the way, as I had no idea about either of these. Uh, in rugby league, it depends on the competition, as the Australian NRL have what is known as a bunker where the video refs sit, similar to the one the Premier League employs and US sports use as well. Um, all the other leagues house video refs at the ground. In Union, apparently they used to sit near the press box, then moved to an outside broadcast truck at the ground, but are now usually housed in a separate location like the Premier League does. Denzel from the Liverpool site is next, and he asks, Hi Ed, who is impressed at this early stage of the season? I really like Norwich, and Campwell and Pookie particularly. Mane looks amazing, Sterling and KDB. I must also say Cabellos at Arsenal. Well, for me, I disagree with Cabellos. He has not impressed me at all. It is easy to play well when the opponent stands and watches you play, but when he's actually had to work for it, he's been poor. Reminds me a bit of Ericsson at Spurs. Never effective when it actually matters. And that's why they fall short at the big games. Um, De Bruyne, Sterling, David Silva, but then Silva always impresses. I'm going through team by team, by the way, to make it easier. Um, Adrian, Matip, Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Firmino. It's probably why we're off to such a good start as so many unimpressing. Um... Emerson, Mount Abraham, uh, Loris is looking back to something like his best, Lacazette, shame about his injury, and um, Maitland-Niles, uh, Obama Yang always scores, doesn't do a lot else, but who cares when he scores that many, McTominay and James, uh, Wolves players all look off the place so far, but I'm sure they will come good as the season goes on, uh, Dine always seems to be a standout for Everton, amongst non-Everton fans, I would have to say he's probably amongst the most underrated players in the Prem, uh, Sun Chu, a few errors, but he's still young. And Vardy looks to be approaching something like the form of the title winning season. Haller has been very impressive, and Fredericks has massively improved. Capu and Decore are looking back to their best now, Gracia's back, but you know. It's difficult to pick anyone from Palace, as watching them sends me to sleep. Uh, Dummett has been excellent for Newcastle. Shame he has suffered so many career- injuries in his career. Uh, Billing at Bournemouth, I quite like Lerman as well. Shame Lewis Cook has so many injuries, he always looks a good player when he is fit. No one has particularly impressed me about Burnley, but they're very much about the team, so that is only to be expected. Uh, Southampton have all been a bit hit and miss. Brighton looked like they had found something with Trossard, only for him to get injured. You could almost say the entire Norwich squad, but really it is Cantwell, Buendia and Pukki who are standing out. Basham and Baldock... 
Uh, and finally, Mings and Engels have been very good, despite a very open style making it difficult for defenders to impress. And I like McGinn, but I think there is a lot more to come from him this season. Another Liverpool site question is from Man I Love Mane, who asks, what is going on with Brewster's development and what is currently thought of him? He's still finding his feet after his long-term injury, though they're very happy with how sharp he is looking, which is why he made the bench against Chelsea. Enough is thought of him that he was seen as ready to get game time there in the right circumstances. Now on to Roro1892 from the Liverpool site, who asks, All right, Ed, do you and the rest of the Eds work on the shift pattern on this site? No, mate, it's just whoever is about picks up the posts. So you may get lucky and get Ed too if he is about, or your luck may be completely out and you get stuck with me editing. So now on to a Man United poster. Depender asks, Hello Ed1, how are you doing mate? This podcast has been a great idea and something I always look forward to listening to. Anyways, my question is a really simple one. N'Golo Kante or Saul Niguez? Whom do you like more? In my opinion, they're the two best central midfielders in the world right now. Really glad you enjoy it. Must be my dulcet tones, but that is not an easy question. Simple question. It's a tough one. I mean, I'm Saul is the more rounded player, but I'm going to lean towards Kante anyway because Kante is just better at what he does and improving, and he seems like such a nice guy away from the game as well. Kante is the best player in the world right now, I think. Could you imagine just how good they would be together, though? So now to the Everton site, and BR1920 asks, After Everton claimed they never made a second transfer bid for Zahar and hyping the run-in to the end of the window, how reliable are papers, media and transfer rumours? Are any papers, media outlets more reliable than others? Well, sadly, papers and media in general are utterly unreliable as they sensationalise everything. Talk of a bid is usually just that, talk. Bids are rare, it's mostly just inquiries that are reported as bids, and that is a huge difference. But saying the club has asked if there is any possibility Player A would be for sale is not as exciting to write about as saying Player A has been the subject of a multi-million pound bid. I don't know of any that are reliable other than AP and Reuters, to be honest. The left will eat itself from the Spurs site is back with a new question. From a Spurs fan who's generally interested, what is your opinion on Liverpool not signing anyone this summer? It is a tough one. I can understand why it happened. It's not ideal just bringing in kids, however it is what it is. There's nobody good enough to make a difference as part of the front three that's interested in joining unless one of the current front three goes. You can't sell one of them unless you are forced to, so that rules out bringing in forwards really. The midfield is well suited to Liverpool's style and Cater and Oxlade-Chamberlain were missing for most of the season through injury, so that has strengthened anyway. It's difficult to see anyone attainable, and I stress the attainable, because players like Kante and Saul were not attainable despite clubs trying to buy them to improve on the group. So what you're left with is the defence. You know, you've got a group that you're only really looking at players who can try and push or rotate with the current fullbacks, and no player of a similar quality is interested in that kind of role. Same with the centre-backs, where you have Virgil plus A and other, and both Gomez and Matip have looked world-beaters alongside him. So who do you buy? No one wants to sit on the bench or play for the reserves, and there is no obvious weakness that can be fixed through the transfer market. The one that could be was backup keeper, and that was done. It's similar to the way it's similar to the way it was done under Paisley. You had a first team 
that was working together perfectly. Not the best 11 of individuals, but they were the best team. You don't sit on your hands and do nothing. You buy from a position of strength, but you can't really improve through the transfer market. So what you do is you bring in a couple of players who you can prepare for the future. That's pretty much what Klopp has done. It's not ideal and not the way he wanted it to go, but you can only deal with the hands you had dealt, and the team is mainly young and growing together, so it should get better anyway as it gains experience. It's not ideal, but it's far from a major issue. On to another question from MDB from the Manchester United site, and he asks, Don't you think the term wonder kid is being severely abused so much so that it has lost its true meaning? 100% yes. The media use it for every half-decent player under the age of 21 these days. That is compounded by football managers' use of the word to describe a whole group of young players in the game. So yeah, definitely well overused and abused. Right, Riffy72 from the Rangers site asks, Who assisted and who scored the only goal ever scored in a 3pm kick-off Scottish Cup final before 3 o'clock? I've not got a clue, sorry, I can't remember who scored in the last match I watched, let alone the game I never saw. I wouldn't even know how to begin searching for that, so no, I don't know, sorry mate. Now it's Silverhead from this Liverpool site who says, Ed, loving these podcasts, they're keeping me from mischief as a stalk East Anglia selling tyres in my car. Anyway, can I ask if that is Ed 2's real voice on the Sharkapod, or did you employ a particularly dynamic and animated voiceover actor? Also, have you taken Sparky out for a walk lately? Well, I'm really glad you like these podcasts, Silverhead. Just sorry I'm struggling to keep up with the questions at the moment. Though I am I'm, I am worried that you describe yourself as stalk in East Anglia. But then it is only East Anglia, so it probably doesn't really matter. It is a strange place after all. I met an East Anglian once and all he wanted to do was, was make sure I knew Norwich were the original tractor boys and not Ipswich. Apparently it is of vital importance who gets the tractors first. Something to do with whether the seats need wiping down before use. As for the Sharkapod, will you remember the bit This is the voice of the Mysterons on the Captain Scarlet opening titles? Well the guy that did that has a second cousin who once went out on a drunken night of debauchery with Ed 2 and has been living in Ed 2's basement ever since, chained to the wall. Through his own choice it must be said. When Ed 2 turned the basement into a recording studio for the Sharkapods, he put the guy to good use as his voiceover actor. He also takes care of Sparky and walks him three or four times a day so I don't have to. So now to the final question, or questions really for this one, uh, for this pod. It's from Morrow6590 on the Liverpool site and his is a multi-part question. So, uh, hey Chris, this question is probably a bit of a two-parter and relates to VAR this season in the Premier League. Firstly, although early days, does the Premier League view VAR as a success so far this season and any changes, tweaks they are looking to implement? I'll stop there and answer that part first before going on to the second part, right? The Premier League and PGMOL are gathering data and examining each game after it finishes, looking into all the decisions, etc. to to decide what needs to be tweaked for next season. As far as I can find out, though, we're not making any changes before then. Which makes sense as you should set the rules for a season and stick to them rather than move the goalposts mid-season. But they are looking at things like making sure that the smaller clubs get a you know fair rubber to green and all that kind of thing. Right, on to part two now. Right, second part is, secondly I was watching the Liverpool versus Arsenal match yesterday evening and there was a passage of play where, where, Arsenal play, where an Arsenal player was played through and subsequently led to a corner. The Arsenal corner actually led to a Liverpool counter-attack, but the ball ended up with Leno. 
Replays showed the Arsenal player was played through, was offside. Who was played through, sorry, was offside. Hypothetically, if Arsenal had scored from their corner, or Liverpool did from the counter-attack, would VAR have come into play as the corner should not have been awarded in the first place? Sorry if this opens up a can of worms. Many thanks, Dave. Well, it's actually quite simple. The VAR would not have looked that far back as it was seen as a different phase of play. No can of worms. When the ball goes dead, that is the end of a phase. So it would simply go no further back than the corner on the check. So there we have it. Another Ask the Ed done and dusted. Before I go though, I just have to wish safe tra- travels and enjoy your pilgrimage to Ed3, who has for a special 60th birthday treat been taken on a pilgrimage to San Francisco to see where Ed2 is from. He has a special hand-drawn in crayon, well he's not allowed pencils or pens, so it had to be drawn in crayon, map with all of Ed2's favourite drinking holes marked with an X. Of course it was all booked through Thomas Cook, so we know he's in good hands. Have fun mate.